Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Hey, what's up, Path to Freedom listeners? Thank you so much for dropping into another episode. This is episode 115, and today I'm joined by a good friend and a leader in the franchise industry, Zach Butler. Zach's one of the co-founders of Horsepower Brands, which is a portfolio of franchise brands all focused on the home services, home improvement category. Currently, Horsepower Brands has seven different franchise concepts, and Zach talks about you know what he and his co-founder Josh Skolnick are really trying to build with horsepower how they're doing it differently from the vast majority of other franchise concepts out there and you know everything that they've learned through their experience prior to horsepower Zach was a large multi-unit franchisee with a nutrition concept Josh Skolnick founder of several very successful home service, home improvement franchise brands prior to Horsepower. So they learned a lot through that experience. Both of these guys have been in franchising for a very long time at this point. And, you know, there's a lot of things that they saw in franchising that they thought, you know, was not the right way to go about it necessarily. So everything they're building at Horsepower from you know, the types of franchise owners that they're looking to bring into their brands, you know, all the different support mechanisms that they have in place for their franchisees across all of these brands. um, They're doing it differently. So, you know, that's a big part of where we focus in this conversation. Um, And I think you'll get a lot of value from it. I know, you know, I learned a lot and always enjoy having a chance to talk with Zach. So, Without further ado, let's go ahead and drop in with Zach Butler of Horsepower Brands. Hey, what's up, Path to Freedom listeners, and thank you for dropping into another episode. Today, I'm joined by one of my favorite people in franchising, someone that I would definitely call a friend, Zach Butler. Uh, Zach is one of the co-founders of Horsepower Brands, and for those that have been listening to the show for a while uh, you've definitely heard me talk about horsepower brands. We've had, you know, several of their franchise brands, franchise concepts uh, featured on the podcast. And Zach and his co-founder Josh Skolnick, um, I had on the show. We were just chatting, Zach. Uh, it's been probably at least two years since you and Josh came on, and you guys were really just launching horsepower brands at that time so anyways man really appreciate you making time to join me on the show again 100 percent, yeah uh that's always good to talk. it's always good to talk to you wes i think the last time we had just finished like our uh about a year's worth of prep and planning we just had kicked off so it have been like right at the the beginning per se yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think Mighty Dog Roofing, which was the the first concept you guys launched, was 
like maybe just getting ready to start officially offering franchises. I think maybe you've gotten FDDs and stuff done, but but didn't officially have any any franchisees yet. So a lot, a lot has happened in you know that pretty short period of time, which you know, we were chatting last week and and that's kind of you know, where we we had the idea to have you come back on and and do another episode. So, you know, for those that that, you know, maybe aren't familiar yet with horsepower brands, um, give us kind of the the 30,000 foot view, you know, what horsepower brands is and, you know, kind of where you are today. Yeah, horsepower brands is a franchise or portfolio company that's fairly unique in franchising. So we're very experienced franchisors. Uh, we've built and sold some other concepts in the past. We basically took our capital from those exits, formed our own fund, and we went out and we started acquiring concepts that we felt would be great franchise concepts. And our first, like we were just talking, was Mighty Dog Roofing. We started there and we've had really aggressive growth, which we've really planned for. And through that aggressive growth, we've learned that a lot of the vendors that we were using either couldn't keep pace with our growth or mm. there was just a dilution of support to the franchisees. And that led us down the path to really vertically integrating a lot of the support services that our franchisees use, like digital advertising, uh, accounting, recruiting, things along those lines. So uh, as of today, we have seven franchise brands. Uh, we have seven uh, supporting franchise verticals that support our franchisees that are what we call shared services. Uh, we're approaching 300 employees and uh, are well on the way to doing uh, uh, breaking our thousand territory mark in two years. So it's been a it's been a great ride. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's rocket ship growth for sure. But, you know, as you mentioned a minute ago, you know, you guys really did plan for this aggressive growth strategy. So. You know, it's not something that that certainly happened by surprise. And, you know, I think unlike a lot of brands or, you know, family of brands that does grow very quickly, you know, because of the background and the experience that you and Josh have, you know, in building other franchise organizations, like you really knew what to expect and what to anticipate, you know, with this fast growth. And so, you know, the infrastructure was was there ahead of time. Um, you know, capital is certainly, you know, not an issue for you guys, given the successful exits that you've had prior to horsepower brands. Um, so a lot of things that I want to kind of pick your brain on, because there's there's definitely things that horsepower is doing very differently in the world of franchising from even, you know, some of the other large portfolio companies or parent companies um, that are out there, because that's not a new concept, right? You know, a, a parent company that that owns, you know, multiple brands, usually the brands have some synergy or, or complement each other in some form or fashion, but you guys are doing some things very unique and, and very differently. So definitely want to pick your brain on that. Before I go any further, want to mention um, the podcast that Zach and I did with Josh Golnick, his co-founder. Um, I'm going to link that in the show notes because Josh and Zach go into quite a bit of detail in terms of their background and experience prior to Horsepower. Um, so for those that didn't catch that episode, you can find a link for it in the show notes, and that'll give you, you know, kind of some good information on what these guys did, you know, prior to horsepower. But, you know, a, a little bit of this kind of first 
question that I have for you may be, you know, a bit redundant from our last conversation, but you know, the, the horsepower brands all have, you know, kind of home services or home improvement in common. Um, and, and I know you, you know, were a very large franchisee in kind of the fitness or, or health and wellness, um, you know, space at one point in time, you know, why did you and Josh decide that, you know, home services and home improvement was where you really wanted to focus with horsepower? That's a great question. Looking back, you know, if you look at a retail model OS, you have to drive people to your location. Mm-hmm. You can't go out and get those people. And when we uh, sat down, we were, you know, we started working together. Our personalities really, I mean, we really just meshed well because we both wanted to grind and we wanted to hustle and we were willing to do whatever it took to make it work. And being able to go out and get your customers is a lot different than having to depend on other people and certain other people and processes and digital advertising drive them all to you. Yeah. And so I think that really something that we liked is that we can go out and we can get those customers in those spaces. And if you look at home services, they're typically recession resistant. They're now pandemic resistant. And the competition they're going up against is so fragmented that that's a really awesome place for franchising to exist because you can really have a nationally backed yet locally owned company that can improve systems processes with technology. And that's something that your local competitors are just aren't going to be able to keep up with. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And and I think, you know, these are the types of businesses that a lot of people, you know, don't think about when they first think of franchising, right? And and I think, you know, there's there's quite a few people out there that, you know, maybe they've been successful entrepreneurs outside of franchising and they look at franchising and they're like, well, I'm I'm too entrepreneurial for that. Like I think in a lot of these home services, home improvement, you know, what you could call service businesses, where like you said, you're going out and getting your customers, you're going to your customer versus, you know, more of this build it and they will come model, um, you know, that you have with your your brick and mortar type franchises. I think that creates room for more autonomy, you know, at the franchisee level, like certainly there's going to be good systems and processes in a good service franchise. There's going to be a playbook that, you know, all of the franchisees should be running, but at the same time, like, there's more ways to skin the cat in a lot of these service businesses. Whereas like, you know, if you have a yoga studio, you know, could be a great business. Sure. But like, there's only so many ways to drive people to your yoga studio and there's only so many ways to, you know, do a yoga class. Right. So I just think there's, there's more room for autonomy and creativity while still operating within the bounds of, you know, what you need to be as a, as a franchisee. And I think that's attractive for a lot of people. Yeah. So our our typical franchisee is 35 to 55 executive minded as executive back uh, background person. And you think about the level of customer service that they expect with their customers and the, the way that they run their system and processes in big companies by being able to come in and bring that into a service based business where your competition is so far behind the eight ball of just simply I mean, there's several industries that we're in where you don't even get an estimate on site mm-hmm. or it's, you know, it's a, Hey, this is how much I'll do it for versus here's a handwritten, you know, on a piece of paper or napkin. It's just so unsophisticated. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, to say it in other words, I guess we can just come in and simply outcompete at a lot, a lot easier. 
Yeah, it's so true. I mean, in, in most of these, you know, home service kind of categories, the vast majority of your competition is going to be less sophisticated, less organized. And, you know, it's really the business skills that they are typically lacking in, you know, because a lot of times like, you know, one of the the brands that you guys have in your portfolio is insulation and, and we own an insulation franchise ourselves. Like, you know, I know some of our local competitors, it's like guys that grew up in the insulation trade, right? And, you know, these guys are a little bit savvier because they're like the second generation owners of, you know, this business. But, you know, the the generation before them, they literally went from doing insulation for someone else to saying, hey, I think we can do this better and do it for ourselves instead of someone else. And yeah, they, they're insulation experts and and now they've kind of learned the business. But, you know, that was a big learning curve that took many, many years versus, um, you know, someone plugging into a franchise system that, you know, already has the business side of it figured out. So anyways, wanted to to have you speak to that a little bit. Um, I, I just mentioned mentioned insulation and you said you you guys currently have seven brands that that you're operating. So quickly run us through what are the seven brands so people can get a sense of the different industries that you guys are are currently in. yeah, there's there is specific criteria that we look for in the industries that we want to be that we want to play in. And uh, the first was Mighty Dog roofing. so that's roofing siding, gutters, windows, and now solar. Uh, now, two years ago was when we first launched that brand. I, I believe we were about to break 400 units across the country. So we're pretty close to being the largest roofing company in North America. Uh, the second brand was Blingle, which is outdoor lighting. So you think per, uh, landscape lighting, uh, holiday lighting, permanent lighting, vent lighting. Uh, that brand has really exploded. And uh, the set, the third brand would be iFoam insulation. So similar to you, we do spray foam, blown insulation residential and commercial. Uh, we have Heroes Lawn Care, which is really an interesting concept. It's a semi-absentee model. Uh, and the reason that we deem it that way is that the general manager is is not going to be paid what that executive-minded person is going to is going to need to get paid. And because the residual services, we want someone that has uh, typically an income to be able to support that type of business model. But that's mm-hmm. uh, uh, pet waste removal, irrigation repair, and then uh, lawn care. So think fertilization, aeration, and overseeding. We're not mowing lawns, but it's three very high margin services. And the reason we took those three and added them into one is that uh, it's no longer seasonal and we can be on the property 52 weeks a year and we can establish a better relationship uh, with uh, that type of customer. Now we're yeah. actually at heroes. We're actually adding uh, mosquitoes to that concept in this year. Oh, really? That's exciting. Okay. So, so that even makes this one point even more impactful then because the one thing I was going to say is a quick plug for heroes. One of the reasons I like the concept so much is now, especially with mosquitoes. I mean, I can name other national franchises that, you know, all have very successful franchisees where each franchise just does one of the different verticals that, that you just described that heroes does. So the pet waste removal, the lawn care, uh, the irrigation, and the mosquitoes, like there's successful businesses that just focus on one of those heroes is like a one-stop shop, you know, where most of those customers, if they have a need for one of them, they're going to have a need for, you know, multiple of those different services. So heroes is a, is a very unique one. 
Well, and the reason that we did that, Wes, is that we wanted to have, and I'll talk about this at the end, but we wanted to have our franchisees have multiple concepts. And uh, the you know the average franchisee with a million dollar net worth is not going to buy a, a business with a $200,000 average unit volume. And so you look at each one of those businesses as them as a standalone concept, which is not a bad franchise. It's just our typical franchise buyer is not going to want that individual concept. So bring them together and allowing them to to put some capital into scale, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I do want to visit that that topic um here in a moment as well. But so after heroes, what's what's the next concept? We have you guys Gatsby Glass, up? which is interior uh interior residential and commercial glass. So you think bathrooms, uh of shower doors, mirrors, partition walls, wine cellars, commercial office glass. That concept's doing really well. Uh, we have Bumblebee blinds, which is uh, window coverings and window shades. We also do drapes, commercial as well as residential. And then Groovy Hughes painting, uh, that's a, a interior, exterior, residential, commercial painting that also does some light carpentry to really improve the, the home value rather than just doing painting. And so those are the seven brands that we currently operate with a few more coming out this year. So quick, quick story on Gatsby Glass. When you guys first rolled it out and and I start hearing about it, it didn't quite click with me, right? You know, the the shower doors and stuff and, you know, how this can be such a big business. Well, you know, we're hopefully breaking ground in, in a couple of weeks from recording this to build a new house. And so, you know, last week I just got the detailed, you know, contract from our builder you know, with itemized list of every single thing and the shower door and our master bathroom, dude, is like $18,000 or something crazy like that. I'm like a shower door. Holy crap. Um, so anyways, there's clearly a lot of money in interior glass, um, especially when you get into the commercial and doing, you know, glass, uh, you know, walls and stuff throughout offices. But so, you know, great portfolio of brands that you guys have so far. You know, you talked a little bit already about the, uh, you know, criteria that you guys are looking for, you know, to say, hey, this is an industry that that we want to go into. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, your strategy, right? When you've identified, you know, an industry that you do want to go into, you know, how do you go about launching a new brand and going to market? Because I think this is another area that you guys are very different from some of the other larger, uh, you know, family of brands that are out there. It's much different. And so when we look at an industry that we want to be in, we look for uh, a standalone location, preferably. So not a franchise. Mm -hmm. So where the neighborlies and large authority brands are, they're acquiring large mature brands for a, a vast amount of money, but they're inheriting a lot of problems when they do that. And we're able to take a brand from one or two locations to a few hundred in a few years, we can do it our way. We can do it in the way that we want to do it with the right type of franchisee. So we want concepts that have large average unit volume, that have recruitable labor. The customer acquisition strategy has to be replicatable. We have to be able to drive leads in market as well as outside of the market through digital advertising. Uh, we want there to be a lot of consumer demands so that we know it's a proven market, but where the competition is really unsophisticated. And so our strategy is really coming in with a, a not even an emerging, an inf a brand in, the, in its infancy. We then have that concept where we go out and we then find the, some people in the industry that are so 
well-connected and so knowledgeable that uh, we're coming in and we're creating a better training program than you would typically see at any young franchise because the, that one franchise is not the expert and know-it-all in the industry. You think about the consultants you can hire, the large national vendors that you can partner with. With our tracker, we can bring people in that are so far advanced within those industries that we get just a ton of value there. And so, so we're able to take that concept early and, and scale it aggressively. So that kind of founding location is really just giving you guys a little bit of a platform to, to build off of instead of a complete cold start. But then you're also bringing in other industry experts, which you know I want the listeners to really pick up on this, right? Because a lot of times... You know, you hear phrases like emerging brands, right? And it it's, I think, inherently a little bit scary to some people, right? Or at least they perceive it as being maybe higher risk than getting into a very mature franchise system that's been around for a long time, hundreds of franchisees, lots of data, et cetera. You know, when you're looking at an emerging concept that not only has industry experts you know, kind of driving the the playbook and, and execution on the operation side, but then you combine that with experienced franchisors, you know, especially where there's really solid support built out, which we'll we'll talk more about here in a minute. Like it's almost the best of both worlds. And like, yeah, there's still going to be some things that, you know, as you if you get into an emerging brand are going to be different than, you know, a brand that's been around longer. But, you know, in my eyes, that can really, you know, minimize some of the risk that would, you know, typically be associated with investing in an emerging brand. You know, there's a, there's a Simon Sinek Ted talk on uh, the law of diffusion of innovation and it's how people make buying decisions. And that's a great analogy for when you look at franchise concepts at what stage of the franchise do people uh, then want to buy that franchise? And typically in emerging brands, it's friends and family or the innovator type personality, which don't make the best franchisees. Yeah. So what we're finding is because we're investing so much capital in the support side early and, and so much technology, we're getting the early and late, uh, the early and late majority into that concept that are really better capitalized. They're making better uh, business decisions. And so we're finding that we're getting people off the ground a lot more aggressively because we're bringing in the right type of franchisee, which you typically don't see in, in an emerging brand. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And and it's interesting too, right? And that's, you know, one other point that I wanted to have you, you know, speak to quickly is, you know, who your franchisees are today and, and who you guys are really looking for, right? Because I know one of the other misconceptions that's fairly common when people, you know, see these service type franchises, you know, take Heroes Lawn Care, for example, right? Pet waste removal is one of the services they provide, right? Some people are going to see that and be like, you know, screw that. I don't want to spend my time picking up dog poop, you know, as a business owner. And, you know, you mentioned some of the standalone concepts out there that, you know, don't require as much capital, but they're not really designed to be as scalable and the the unit economics are not as strong. Whereas, you know, you guys have kind of packaged various services together to create a more scalable year round opportunity. Therefore, you're looking for a different type of owner than the owner that, you know, may buy into a pet waste removal standalone concept, right? So, you know, what type of people 
are you really looking for and what type of people have become franchisees across your brands up to this point? So it's a, you know, it's interesting. It's a 35 to 50 year old, 35 to 55 year old executive. That's typically in, uh, you know, they're in, they're in transition of finding the next uh, job or they now no longer want to go back into the workforce and they want to be in a business or it's the executive that still has an income that, Listen, say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, but I'm making great money. Let me diversify and create some income in a business where I can also offset some tax liability, et cetera. So uh, it's it's definitely a higher net worth executive-minded candidate. And so when you think about roofing, none of our franchisees came from the roofing industry. I mean, Wes, nobody grows up and wants to be a roofing guy, right? Yeah. Very few. Yeah. If any. And if they did, we probably wouldn't want them as a franchisee. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that we look at is we do not want people from the industry as franchisees. We want them to really follow the process and work on the business, not in the business. Yeah. Yeah. So you want people that like if they're going to get into business for themselves, they're not interested in, you know, a business that's going to become their job. Right. And and kind of stay a small business. You're looking for people that want to build something substantial and and get into a a business that has the types of systems built around it to really enable that that long term scalability. Well, we and you, I know you wanted me to bring this up, but one of the things that we think is exciting is when you look at uh, creating wealth for for your family or creating just generational wealth. Uh, and you look at multi unit franchising. There was an article on that in, For- in Forbes about how that creates wealth. Mm-hmm. Well, in home service. Multi-unit is not really the same. You can have three uh, units or territories in home service, but yet have one business versus having three units of a brick and mortar. That's three separate businesses. Yeah. Well, what we think is exciting, and we have several franchisees that have now done this, is having a territory and not not growing out, but growing up with different concepts. So we think that in the next three to five years, there's going to be a huge opportunity to, to for franchisees to sell their portfolio companies to private a private equity and venture capital. So take someone that has three concepts in uh, in an area, they now can leverage a leadership team to run those, the same real estate, they can cross market the same customer base, and they can be very efficient doing it. And when our conversations that we're having with uh, PE or VC companies, it's, it's attractive to them that while they can have it all in the same area, which mm-hmm. helps with them managing that type of business, They've diversified some of the risk by having it across multiple service lines, yep. but yet it's the same end, res- end user customer so they can cross market the customer base. So we really do believe that for franchises getting in, uh, our, fir- our first franchisee that's about to have their third concept, that they have their own portfolio company name, and they're going to start marketing this to sell it for a significantly higher multiple EBITDA than you could with one concept. So yeah, that's that- something that we're really excited about. That makes total sense to me. And I imagine that, you know, PE firms or or whoever, right, that may be interested in buying, you know, a local franchisee kind of portfolio business, they also find it very attractive that if all of the brands are under the same umbrella, right, therefore, they share support, right? I imagine a lot of the back office and technology is similar or communicates pretty well, you know, that's going to streamline that acquisition a hell of a lot more than if they, you know, went out and, and you know, tried to acquire a portfolio of businesses where the ownership is not 
not shared across the different brands, right? Like my my wife and I, like our businesses, you know, we're kind of taking the similar approach, right? Like we learned in our first franchise, we could run that business more profitably, you know, in terms of like a percentage of revenue to our, to our bottom line than most of the other franchisees because we had less territory to focus on. We could go deep instead of wide. So we said, hey, instead of going out and buying more territory with this brand, let's find another brand that, that kind of complements but we don't have shared ownership across those brands, right? So is it feasible that we could sell both of those businesses to one buyer? Sure, but it would certainly be a fairly complicated process. So there'd just be more people involved in, in trying to make that all come together. No, I'll, I'll give you some fun data. Uh, and um, when we look back on franchisees that bought, when you look at the number of territories versus gross revenue, one of the things that we found is that if they went if they went more than three territories in home services, they, had a, they were statistically uh, more likely to do less in revenue total, mm-hmm. not by territory total. And mm-hmm. what you just said is, you know, people can be oversold, et cetera, but being able to have an appropriately sized territory to market in and and have great coverage in, and then be able to stack brands on top of that. Is is so much more successful than having this huge wide area that you'll never be able to market to in five years. So I yeah I love that data point. If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out, and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected, and I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you. So I I, I know what my thought is, but I want to hear your thought. Why do you think that is? Why do you think, you know, with some of these service type franchises, the more territory you have, the harder it is to, you know, really maximize all of that territory and get as much revenue out of it as you should be able to. Um, and and why do you think it's probably, you know, more difficult to 
run that business as profitably as you know one where you had less territory? So I got a great example. When I was a complete nutrition franchisee, radio was our bread and butter. And we would spend about $10,000 a location a month. And we would go on four stations and we'd spend money in the morning prime, in the evening prime, and then we get some freebies throughout the day. Well, we all started in markets of 150,000 to 300,000 people. As soon as people started going to large markets, the cost that they'd have to spend to get the same amount of reach was so much higher that uh, they, they weren't able to they weren't able to spend enough money to do that without more locations. So now in home service, you can be pretty precise on how you want to target those areas. But you know, somebody that starts with one one territory and five territories, if they're starting with the same amount of equipment, same salespeople, marketing the same amount of dollars, that dollar just doesn't go as far. And so we have in, in our in our uh, in our friend our, our FDDs, we have changed it toward the more territories that they go, there is an additional investment in either equipment, people, or marketing, so that they can get an appropriate return on their investment. Yeah, and that's something that I don't think that we did a good job a good enough job in our early years as a franchisor. But uh, you know, more territory is not necessarily the answer. I mean, we want people to get a great return on not just their 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 uh, their capital investment, but also on their time too. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it kind of ties back into what we we touched on earlier, right? Where, you know, these types of service businesses like they do require, I think, more activity from the owner or the management team or whatever in terms of like proactively going out and building the business and building relationships that can drive business. And so that's just not as as conducive to you know, scaling across, you know, half of a state or across multiple states. Whereas like, you know, some of your brick and mortar concepts are probably better if if that's the the strategy that you want to take. You know, you want to own locations across multiple states or, you know, get to a place where you have 20, 30 plus locations of the same brand. Um, your service businesses, I think, just require, you know, more boots on the ground, not necessarily from the owner, but the further spread out you are, you know, the harder it is to build out the team that you need. Your marketing dollars don't go as far, but like any of these service-based businesses, like no matter how, you know, good your digital marketing or any paid advertising strategy is like, there's always going to be great opportunity, you know, to network and develop strategic partnerships and and relationships that can drive more business. And all that's going to do is lower you know, your overall average cost to to acquire a new customer, right? So like I know in in our franchises, that's something we've gotten pretty good at. And and that helps us. And I know franchisees that have a lot more territory than us, they just can't get out and and do it to the same level. So yeah, it's well, it's an interesting comparison. We well, you know like brick and mortar, if somebody buys five units, they're not opening up five units all at once. No. They're opening up. They're opening them up over like five years. Yeah. Well, as a franchisor, you can't really grow your support line without royalty. So you're really shooting yourself in the foot by providing your franchisees with the best amount of support and experience possible. If you're selling people 10, 20, 30 units, it just does. It's just not a good idea for anybody. Yeah, that's a great services, point. In home services, you're you're 100 right. The top performers build a network within their community, and there's for franchising, it's all about what can we, what can we do as a franchise order to make sure that not just A players are successful, but also B and C players. And 
So like, to your point, we have two things. We have a national permitting database that we've made a significant investment in where our franchisees get every approved permit by county every week in this country. All that data is then funneled into a CRM system that we have built ourselves. And we take that data and now we can hold a general manager accountable or even a franchise a franchisee to go out there and, hey, here's here's uh, five home builders, here's five realtors, here's five tile companies. Here's what you take with you to these meetings. Here's what we suggest to do. Here's how the CRM holds you accountable to follow up uh, with those type of customers. And we can see all the data on our end. And so we're really trying to put a system and process in place to help franchisees become better connected within their communities. And that's something that I know, and I mean, you know it firsthand too, Wes, is that when there's there's certain personalities that are good at that, that are just, you know, social butterflies. And there's others that, you know, you really got to twist their arm to go to a BNI group for God's sakes. Yeah. Yeah. So the easier you make it, the the better. And and it's also like, you know, for so many you know, business owners, or even, you know, if you're like a GM, you know, working for a franchisee, you know, you may enjoy the networking piece, you know, you may understand how important it is, but, and you may, you know, start every day with the best of intentions to get out there and do your networking. But, you know, by 10 a.m., fires may have popped up in a few different places and it just kind of drops down on the priority list. So, you know, those types of systems, um, you know, I'm sure are incredibly helpful to just make it easier for, you know, the franchisees or the managers or whoever to get out there and do it. But, um, you know, let's let's use that as as kind of a, a segue into talking support, because it's one of the main reasons that, you know, I wanted to have you back on, because I think you guys are doing a, a really, really good job. And, and as we already talked about, you're doing it differently. So, you know, you already alluded to the fact that you guys currently have seven um you know, supporting businesses, right? So supporting in the sense that these are not franchise concepts themselves. These are businesses that you own that are providing support in different areas across all of your franchise brands. So, you know, run us through kind of the different support verticals that that you guys have at this point. Yeah. And so part of this is I always like to preface that we really did not want to invest and create these supporting verticals. We did it out of necessity. And so as we started having aggressive growth, there's very few vendors that could maintain that growth with us without having a significant dilution of support to our franchisees. And the first was digital advertising. And so when you think about, and I know you've experienced this as well, Wes, but typical digital advertising companies say, you know, I'm the best at everything. And the only way you can hold me accountable is it depends. And hell, the only way it works is if you spend more money. And you got all these impressions. Yep. Yeah. Nice. You got tons <laughs> of clicks, Wes, but you're like, I didn't have one lead. And yeah. so uh, now that was frustrating. So as we started going through EOS and traction, our vendors now became a department and we started holding them accountable to metrics that we deemed necessary. And what we found is that they really were just you know, polishing the turd per se. And so with our uh, digital marketing agency that we're working with, I mean, they were charging a monthly fee and 20 to 30% commissions on top of that to the franchisees. And we were not getting better results. So we ended up acquiring a different company that we were working with. And we developed the first commission-free model that was a fixed fee only. That way, the more the franchisee spends, the more goes into their, their advertising budget, which allows them to drive more revenue, drop more of the bottom line and pay us more royalties. So there was alignment there for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's for us doing it at the feed that we do it at. It's such 
it, it's very be very unaffordable for a typical franchisor to do that just because it, it's not a moneymaker for us. Yeah, a typical uh, franchisor in the sense like it's just one one brand, you know, like a, a single yeah. brand. Yeah, yeah. The next was a call center. So you know, we started holding them accountable to certain metrics and we worked with one of the largest call centers in franchising. And, you know, the time to answer kept getting higher and higher. So they weren't being able to keep up with staffing. Then the callback times kept getting larger and larger. And then people weren't getting trained properly because they were staffing too fast versus staffing up ahead of time. Well, to their credit, you know, when we say that we're going to add 50 franchisees in one year, they're probably like, sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> and so you probably heard that before and not seen it happen. Correct. So we brought, we ended up creating a, a, our own call center that are educated, not just on our brands, but also the industries that they're in. Again, it's at a really low cost uh, to the franchisees. And we based everyone out, typically out of the Midwest uh, uh, for that business. Um, next was recruiting. We knew that uh, franchisees need help finding the right people, but there's a lot of joint employer liability for the franchisor to do that. So we created a separate entity uh, that's uh, working with franchisees to help recruit their staff. Now, it's around $1,000 just where they'll recruit their staff, which a typical agency is going to want 30 to 40% of that person's set first year salary. Yep. So that that is really a pass through to the franchisees, but that's where they can speak to an, an actual recruiter that will identify a candidate place a job ad, identify a candidate, vet the candidate, and then schedule an interview for a franchisee. Uh, we have a bookkeeping company called Z Books that does all the bookkeeping across all brands. And the benefit there is that we use actual net, we use NetSuite where we can pull automated reports instantly, which is with QuickBooks, if you have multiple franchisees, you actually cannot export a single report from all locations. You have to do it in each individual, uh, uh, each individual brand manually. Yep. And so now we're able to provide financial statistics at a click of a button for our franchise system, which they can now, they can now as a franchisee, you can see your financial KPIs compared to others. Which is so, so important, right? I know franchisees that, you know, question why the franchisor requires them to use a bookkeeper, requires that they use a certain bookkeeper, or even, you know, if they don't have to use a bookkeeper, submit their financials. It's like, that data that you get is gold, right? If you can look at your KPIs and these metrics that are important in your business and see how you stack up compared to the rest of the system. Like in one of our brands, I was able to, you know, run a report a couple of months ago and see that, you know, our labor costs was easily seven to eight percent higher than the system average, right? We go in and fix that. That goes straight to my bottom line, you know, and at a business doing well over seven figures a year, that's no joke, that, right? That's not go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for any franchisees or future franchisees out there listening, like let someone else do your books. It's not a good use of your time anyways. And, you know, hopefully your franchisor has a good system for accumulating all that data and, you know, showing you some some benchmarks. So anyways, I well, just wanted know, to point out why that's so important. As a franchisor, how do you know that your your franchise system is profitable and not heading to an epic disaster? You, you don't know unless you have the data. So that really helps us, literally helps us make decisions. Yep. We have HPB Fleet, which was uh, an interesting conversation. We ordered 300 F750 chassis for our insulation business ahead of time, and they were all canceled. So, uh, which was quite a, was fairly alarming. So, we had to uh, get our own dealership license, 
create an entity, hire a team that now go out and they identify vehicles for franchisees for across all brands. They identify the vehicle, buy the vehicle, get it upfitted, wrapped, and delivered to the franchisees. And we're buying those vehicles ahead of a franchise placement. So to be able to maintain a proper open rate uh, for our systems, that was something that we had to make an investment in. And uh, you know, I think we're up to a, almost a $30 million line of credit on that business just to buy vehicles, uh, which is uh, just ridiculous. But that that's what, if without that, we wouldn't be able to open our locations. That's such a good example of how you and Josh roll though. Like, you know, an obstacle gets put in front of you and, and instead of figuring out how do you get around it, you just figure out a way to run right through it. And uh, people ask us quite a bit, like what makes us so different? I honestly think it's our ability to solve complex problems, leveraging capital, both, you know, financial capital as well as intellectual capital. But that's where we we really do have a purpose and to, to change franchising, to do things differently. And we have where we're trying to be uh, by 2025, which is have our 25 entities under horsepower brands. Um, but the, the last entity is uh, ZLogic. So we did acquire a data analytics firm for from a data perspective. So all of our brands and all of our service shared service businesses have a dashboard of performance. So a franchisee can see their performance against every other franchisee in the system. Uh, like a, every salesperson for every franchisee can benchmark their own personal stats against other salespeople across the country. Uh, like in franchise development, I think it's important. We actually can, can see the data of not just who we're placing as franchisees based on their age, uh, net worth, uh, background, education. We can also compare it to the performance. So we can see, you know, what type of candidate is actually performing the best and then narrow our search to more of that type of candidate, which is something that I had not seen in franchising until we started doing it simply because we had the company that could process the data. Uh, and even I know we work with 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 uh, you and uh, Wes, you work with you and other people at Franchise, and we can even see, you know, the, the the success rate and the average unit volume by individual network of consultants down to the individual consultant, which for us lets us know who our best partners are. Well, and and for someone in my shoes, right, as a consultant, like a brand that has or or you know a portfolio of brands that has that level of intelligence on you know who does well and where like that's invaluable right because that's where i spend so much of my time is not only learning about the brands i work with but really learning you know what type of person is you know likely to be successful and where right because that's where i add value right is is making intelligent recommendations and matches um, not just, you know, throwing something at the wall, you know, for someone that I'm working with. So the better understanding I have of these things, the more value I can add to, to the people that I work with. Right. Um, you know, cause there's some people that I may not necessarily without knowing from you guys think would be a fit for one of your brands. And in reality, they may be a great fit and your brands may be a great fit for them, uh, and vice versa. So, and, and I, I'm with you. I've you know spent many years doing franchise development. I've never seen uh, other brands leveraging that type of data or insight. Hundred percent. And uh, you know, it, when you uh, when we got to the size that we are, we're we're leveraging some just fantastic people. But it, it's all around the same vision: is how do we save? How do we get our franchisees? Well, actually, let me backtrack. Every every franchisee ended up getting into business for themselves for a purpose. And that's either to 
take control of their destiny or create legacy or diversify. And our goal at Horsepower is that it, to get them to their financial goals or their why, per se, uh, as quickly as possible with the least amount of stress. So mm. what can we do to save them time, energy, stress, and what can we do to put more to their bottom line so that we can create a healthier franchise system where there's complete alignment across not just the franchisor, but the franchisee as well as the shared services. Well, and I, and I think, you know, that that kind of mission that you just outlined really comes through in, you know, all the support that you just talked about, right? And you mentioned EOS and traction, and we don't have time to to get into all of that today. But, you know, this is something that you guys are teaching your franchisees how to implement in their businesses, right? And so, you know, all the reasons that most people get into business for themselves, um, you know, usually it's not to work more and to be more stressed out, at least long-term, right? But for sure. that's what happens to so many business owners, right? Because they they try to do it all themselves or they aren't really taught the right way to structure their business from day one so that, you know, ultimately they can get to a point where they're working on their business instead of in it. And like, I know you guys are, you know, really preaching that to your franchisees, your support is designed to, you know, take all these critical yet very time-consuming tasks that are going to be necessary in any business, get it off the owner's plate, teach them things like the entrepreneurial operating system and how to recruit the right people and structure their team so that ultimately their time is spent managing the big picture, thinking strategically, and enjoying the benefits of, of being a successful business owner and not you know, working themselves to death or, or burning out, you know, after a couple of years. So, um, so, so much, I know we're, we're kind of, you know, tight on time today, so I, I'll try to wrap this up, but, you know, one of the things I just want to point out, you know, all these different support verticals that you guys have, uh, you know, for those listening, this is not the normal approach, you know, in franchising. Now it's common that franchisors, you know, help facilitate support in key areas like call centers and digital marketing and, and you know, some of the other things that you guys are doing for your franchisees. But most commonly, that's done through third-party relationships that the franchisor has in place, right? And, and so, you know, that's what you guys are doing so differently. You're investing heavily in, you know, building out this infrastructure and building out this support internally, which then gives you the control, right? So as you're scaling, you know, you can ramp up the support as needed. And, you know, for for a, a franchisee, right, I could see, because I know I've gotten this feedback from folks that have, have looked at horsepower brands like, well, you know, damn, I'm paying a lot of money <laughs> back to horsepower, right? Royalty, getting my vehicles from them. You know, you guys are, are you know, in in manufacturing and uh, supplying some of the the products for some of your brands, um, the the digital marketing, the recruiting, et cetera. It's like, you know, step back and look at it. Like all of these things are expenses you're going to have one way or another if you are in this business, whether it's getting paid to horsepower or third-party vendors or, you know, a vendor that the franchisee goes out and finds themselves. So, um, you know, that's not really a valid concern in my opinion. And, you know, it sounds like you guys are, you know, for the most part, 
passing most of that through, right? It's not necessarily that, you know, all of these different support centers are, are profit centers for you. Um, and, and you're probably getting much, much better results than third parties are. Because I know like for us with our brands, like one of the biggest challenges, whether it's digital, whether it's call center, you know, whatever is the, the support companies don't have a clue what we do in our business, right? We're just one of, you know, who knows how many clients or brands that they work with. And so they don't have a freaking clue what Shelf Genie does or, you know, how Shelf Genie customers, you know, expect to, uh, you know, what they're expecting to hear. So anyways, um, I just wanted to point that out. Uh, last thing I want your opinion on, and then we'll put a bow on this one and, and we'll have you come back on for some more updates in the future. But um Talk to me about how you guys structure the investment ranges that you publish in your FDD and the expectations that you set. Because in my opinion, this is something that other franchisors should be watching and and following suit. Yeah. Most common, the most common reason franchisees fail is lack of capital or funding. And so when we went and looked at the item seven, which is the estimated cost to start and run this business for 90 days, well, we went in and said, well, how can we front load a lot of the first year operating costs so that the franchisee has the ability to, uh, and I would say 95% of our franchisees do an SBA loan. So they're able to then finance that those type of fees and then dump all of that operating cost that they would have spent on back into their business for working capital. And so you think about the first year call center, the first year uh, uh, bookkeeping services, we've done the first year. We're also being very aggressive on the amount of working capital and we're putting in some very aggressive marketing budget strategies so that it goes beyond that 90 day timeframe. And uh, you know, we're, we're trying to be, we're trying to build our item sevens to price out the candidate that can barely afford to get in. We really wanna make sure that we're setting people up for success. So we're not more expensive to, to build the business per se. It's just we're putting it all up front versus, hey, you have 90 days of advertising costs to make this work. And if it doesn't work, you're screwed. Yeah. Or, so, you, or you you hopefully have, you know, money that you can reach back into your pocket and, and put into the business if you need to. Right. But it, it is the most common reason. Right. And, and you would think that, you know, in franchising, that's not you know, a mistake that happens so often is that people are undercapitalized from the beginning, you know, because there are requirements, right? There there are regulations and, you know, every franchisor has to publish an investment range in the FDD. But, you know, you mentioned 90 days, right? That's the requirement is 90 days. So guess what the vast majority of franchisors put in their their investment range, 90 days of working capital, right? 90 well, days of whatever the expense category is. And the fact of the matter is no business is guaranteed, you know, to, to cash flow in the first 90 days. And some businesses are just, you know, it's probably not realistic at all, right? Especially if you're really investing, you know, to, to grow the business and, and scale it long-term, like you, you're probably not gonna gonna get to a place within the first three months that that you don't need additional you know capital on hand well it's we're not creating an item seven to appeal to the widest amount of candidates we're not lowering it to appeal to more cancer raising it to appeal to less 
And sure, we could lower it and be within our legal right, but and we could sell more franchises and we would make more money up front, but it just it's not the right thing to do. And that's you know, Josh's background was a franchise or in the beginning, mine was a franchisee. I was the franchisee that failed. And I was not properly capitalized to, to, to on the growth that I was having. And should the franchisor have known that? Yeah, sure, they should have. I think it wasn't my fault, 100%. But we can do a better job and uh, be fiduciaries of our, and have responsibility that we're really making sure that we're setting things up correctly for the future. Yeah. Yep. Well, I agree. It's the right thing to do. And, you know, you guys are are smart for doing it. You're taking the long-term view and um, – I know it's already paying dividends for you. It will continue to pay dividends. But, hey, man, I know you are very busy. I know you have another meeting to get to. So really, really appreciate you coming on, giving us this update. You know, you said it earlier. The goal is 25 businesses by 2025. And by my count, you're at 14 already. So over halfway there and still, you know, basically two years to get there. So, um I have no doubt that you guys will hit that goal, but you know, you're doing it responsibly. You're supporting all your franchisees across all your brands the right way. So, you know, really appreciate what, what you and Josh are building there at horsepower. Last thing, this episode is brought to you by Butler beef. So uh, in Zach's spare time, he and his wife have a beef company. Uh, If you're watching this on YouTube, I think you have a Butler beef hat on too. I think we're both wearing Butler beef hats. Uh, seriously, it's some of the best steak that I've ever had. Um, the tomahawk is phenomenal. I like to cook it on the smoker and then uh, just quickly sear it to finish it off. So anyways, go check out Butler beef. I'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes too. But Zach, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Always a pleasure, Wes. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.